Twitter. And at these events, hundreds of people responded to the message and came forward in their masses to pray a prayer of salvation to book their place in heaven. And we would see that as great success. And on the face of it, it's very exciting. Now, hear me right, I'm not saying that these people weren't genuine, but there, and there may be many of you here today who went forward at one of these crusades, but it's not just enough to pray a prayer. That's the beginning of it. Actually, it's about discipleship. It's the ongoing life of repentance. See, historically, we've seen the success of the gospel as being how many people we can get through the door praying the prayer and saved. You see, Jesus had thousands following him, but only 120 ended up being part of the first church. Because actually many people couldn't stomach the hard call that Jesus was asking. Because Jesus said that if you want to follow me, you've got to die. If you want to follow me, you need to pick up the cross and follow me. But I think the trouble is, and I include myself as being guilty of this, is that for me, getting someone to pray the prayer is, wow, we've done it. Yes. But actually, that's just the beginning. We need to train people to obey Jesus in all that he taught. You see, when someone is about to die, their last words are vitally important. The last words that people speak on earth, you want to hear what they've got to say. So here are some famous last words. Charlie Chaplin said this after a priest reading him his last rite said, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Is the PowerPoint working or not? It is. Okay. So Charlie Chaplin said, why not? After all, it belongs to him. This is Groucho Marx. Die, my dear? Why, that's the last thing I'll do. Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm so bored of it all. I mean, this is a mighty man who lived, and yet what a sad ending. And this is Spike Milligan, famous comedian. You can't read it because it's in Gaelic. But his last words were, I told you I was ill. <laughs> you see, Jesus had time to use his last words on earth to really count. This is after he'd already died. But when he came back, he said this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. These are his last words before he went up to heaven. So firstly, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you hear that? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is amazing. We need to realize that there is no area in heaven or on earth or anywhere in the universe where Jesus doesn't have complete authority. The Father has given Jesus 
total control over all things. This is amazing. This is why he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he holds the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every single person who's lived and died, no matter how big and important anyone thinks they are or how much power, money and influence they think they have, they will one day get on their knees and speak out the name of Jesus and submit to his authority. See, that's the hope we have. But too many people have left it too late. For many, that's going to be a horrendous day. But praise God, we have got the opportunity today to submit fully to the Lordship of Christ. But get this, Jesus says all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. So, so understand the flow here. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, all authority in heaven and earth, has been given to me by my Father. It's mine. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you need to know why it's therefore. So Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, I've been given all, I'm trying to spit it out. Okay, because I want you to know that every single one of you are included in this promise if you're in Christ this morning. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Meaning he gives you his authority. So the authority that Jesus Christ has has been given to us, me, us, yes. You see, up until this point, Jesus was restricted to Israel because there was just one of him. The kingdom of God was extended through Jesus into the lives of a few people in Israel, and that was it. But now he's saying that the same kingdom power and authority that's, that I've received, I'm passing on to you, to go and replicate his ministry in the lives of people from all nations. You and I have been called to replicate the ministry of Jesus in all the nations. You see, the disciples at this point were probably having their minds blown. Most of these guys up until this point had never probably been outside their hometown. Never been outside of Galilee. And now Jesus is saying, guys, the nations. They didn't have a map. They didn't know what this meant. But they knew that they had to go beyond Israel. And do you know what the exciting thing is? We are part of this great commission. 
None of you can say, well, yeah, not me. No, no, I'm not called to make disciples. No, no, you are. If you're here today and you love Jesus, then this is where you are. The day you decided to follow Jesus was the day that he gave you the authority to go and make other disciples. It's where the rubber hits the road. You see, now I've laid a foundation of what we're called to, I want us to look at various different components of how I can equip you and how we can equip you to make disciples. And that's what we're going to do over these next five weeks. See, brothers and sisters, it's time to be proactive in making disciples. It's not just for the evangelists or the leaders and the keenies. It's for all of us. That's what you signed up to. Okay? That's what you signed up to. But we've made salvation the end goal. But it's not. It's discipleship. So we want to look at this. Well, that was my intro, by the way. John the Baptist, preaching in Matthew 3, says this. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was this. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was his message. That was his message. That was the message of John the Baptist. And here's Jesus' first preach. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it? Oh, no, hold on. That's John the Baptist's sermon. No, no, it's also Jesus' first sermon. The first words that came out of his mouth. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. So what's the key word? Repent. See, the trouble is that the word repent has gained a, pure, a poor reputation due to hell, fire and damnation preachers over the years. So often when you hear the word repent, you kind of, something inside you just kind of feels a bit uncomfortable. But actually, the reality is that repentance is the beginning of everyone's journey as a follower of Jesus. It starts with repentance. It doesn't start with the sinner's prayer. It starts with repentance. If we're going to make disciples of the nations, then we need to understand what repentance is all about. So where do we begin? Well, it's a good idea to find out exactly what the word, re word repentance means. And it comes from the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia. And the literal translation of metanoia is meta means change. Noia means to think or understand. So metanoia means to change one's mind. To totally change the way that you think. So John the Baptist and Jesus were basically saying to their hearers, listen, you need to change the way that you think because the kingdom of heaven is here. And this is really helpful when it comes to discipleship. Because what we're saying to people is, you need to change the way that you think about everything you know. And as a result of it, your lifestyle has to follow. You see, I used to use the name of Jesus as a swear word before I was a Christian. I used to love taking his name in vain. I used to watch things 
I shouldn't have watched. I hated certain people. I just didn't like them. And I was really unkind to people. And all that behavior starts off in the mind, in the way that you think. The famous philosopher who wasn't a Christian, but I love this, Ralph Wardo Emerson. He said, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an act, you reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. It's quite powerful. Your thoughts lead to action. And if you keep doing that action, it leads to a habit. And if you keep doing that habit, it leads to a character. And if you keep on being that person, that's your destiny. You see, in order for me to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it means I've got to totally change the way that I think about everything. You see, when I first became a Christian, I chose to stop swearing. And actually, that changed pretty quickly. I was also a big fan of heavy metal. I was into Black Sabbath, ACDC, Iron Maiden, and I had their posters up on the wall. And they were pretty grim, pretty nasty posters. And I remember sitting on my bed once with all these posters up as a new Christian. And I just felt a voice of, of the Holy Spirit saying to me, Neil, they're offensive. Take them down. And I don't want you to get rid of all your records of these heavy metal bands. And that was a bit more of a battle. But I did. I tore them all down. I got rid of my records. Because I've just been obedient to what God told me to. No one told me to do it. No one said, oh, you've got to stop listening to this music. Stop listening to that music. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I did what he told me to. You see, repentance is about allowing your mind to be changed by the Holy Spirit so that it causes you to live differently. But a big thing that started to change was the way that I thought about Jesus and the Father. You see, I believe that Jesus was some historical figure who lived and died, but I didn't believe that God existed. And if he did exist, he wasn't a very nice God because of all the suffering that existed in the world. That's my view of God. But all of a sudden, I started to think differently about who God. God revealed himself to me. He showed himself to me. And when you know that God is holy and pure and righteous, you'll understand that you are the complete opposite. And therefore, you need to do something about it. Now, if you ask most people if they think they're good or bad, most people would say, I'm good. Because what they do is they compare themselves to the person next to them on to the right and to the left. So people say to me, are you, are you good or are you bad? Well, compared to these people... I'm no worse. I'm pretty good because I was using other people as a backdrop to how good I was. It's a bit like sheep. These sheep, they look nice and white in this field. If you ask most people what color they are, you'd say, well, they're white. However, when you put them into a field of white snow, they look dirty and brown and they don't look so white. 
You see, what you're doing is, in the first picture, you're using a different backdrop. But when you put a white background behind them, suddenly you see them for the color they truly are. You see, before I knew Jesus, I would have said I was a good person. Because my backdrop is the lives of people around me. However, when you meet with God, he's pure. He's holy. The Bible says he's holy, holy, holy. And then suddenly when you put your life with God as the backdrop, you are so dirty. You are so full of evil. You are so far removed from him. The truth is I was horrendously dirty and disgusting because of my utter rebellion and sinfulness. And then comes the realization that in that state, we are totally unable to get out of that situation. It's like God is over there and I'm kind of that way. And I'm walking with my back towards God. My mindset is all about living for myself and doing my own thing. But when you get a revelation of who God is, you have a choice to make. And that's where repentance come in, comes in. See, repentance is about changing direction. If God is over there and you're walking with your back to him, you've got a decision to make. You can either carry on walking that way, which will lead to eternal separation from God, or you do a U-turn. And repentance is about doing a 180 degree turn and going his way. But that means your behavior has to change. And as I said, I'm guilty of often preaching a half gospel. I make the end goal, the prayer of salvation, when actually it's got to be about repentance. It's got to be about changing the way that you think and living accordingly. Romans 8 says this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. This is horrendous, isn't it, when you think about it? The, the mind hostile to God is unable, is incapable of doing anything else. My mind was hostile. It was an enemy of God, to God. It did not submit to his ways, nor could it do so. But the Father, in his amazing love for me, didn't want me to stay hostile to him. So the only way that he could bring me back was by sending his son, Jesus. Amen? He was the only one who was pure and holy. And therefore, when he died on the cross, he took all my rebellion, all my sinfulness, all my wrongdoing. There was a swap that happened. So in my repentance, in me choosing to submit fully to God and obey his teaching, he removes my sin. He makes me pure and white and holy. But repentance isn't a one-hit event. Sinclair B. Ferguson said this, repentance is a characteristic of the whole life not the action of a single moment. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The word be transformed is a present continuum, which means you have to continue to repent through all your life. Repentance is an ongoing process. How many of you battle with your mind and your thoughts? How many of you battle believing what God says about you? How many of you battle believing that God is always good and he always loves you and he always thinks you're great? Anybody? Is it just me? So what do we do about that? We have to change the way that we think. Because if you don't think right, then you're not going to walk the way that Jesus walked. Sonia mentioned a while ago, you know, we need to change the way that we live. Spiritual warfare isn't about shouting at demons and telling them to go away. Spiritual warfare is dealing with the day-to-day battles in our life. And often that starts with the mind. When you're tempted to drink too much. You see, Jesus isn't going that way. So don't go that way. Go the way that Jesus said. It may be that you're tempted to spend the money that you don't have. It may be that you're tempted to eat more than you really need to eat. You see, often we think sin is all about this sort of public out there stuff. Actually, it's the day-to-day stuff. It's those private battles. But it starts with the mind. You know, when you know who God is, when you know that actually doing those things actually hurt him and offend him, then you think, no, why, why, why do I want to go that way? Why do I want to go the way that Jesus isn't going? I need to follow his way. That's repentance. Let's walk with Jesus. We are bombarded daily by the pattern of this world. We're bombarded by it. Every day there's temptation. Let's not allow the devil a foothold. You see, the devil will constantly tempt you to follow his ways and the way that everyone else is following. He wants you to conform to the pattern of this world so that you stop being transformed into the image of Christ and do the things that he did. See, all the time you're conforming to Jesus, you're doing the things that he's called you to do. And that means making disciples. All the time you're not following Jesus, you're not going to be able to make disciples. And the devil's won. But God is calling us to make disciples. God is calling us to be transformed by by the renewing of our mind. So we come full circle. I want this church or the church to be populated by brand new Christians who are following Jesus, who are walking his way. And that starts with you because he's called you to make disciples. If each of us made one disciple in this next year, my maths works out that we would double in size in a year. I don't know. I'm just trying to work out the maths. But it's not about numbers. It's about lives. 
And Jesus loves people. And it may be that God wants to put someone on your heart this morning. Who's that man of peace or that woman of peace that God wants you to disciple? Why don't you just close your eyes right now? Why don't you ask for Holy Spirit? First and foremost, to show you any areas of your life that you need to change. Any areas of your mind that you know lead you down the wrong path. And make a choice right now. It's not just about saying sorry. It's about saying, okay, I'm going to choose to stop walking that way and I'm going to follow Jesus. Just surrender it to God. And remember, God's put you in a crowd. God's put you with people who can help you. If there's areas that you're struggling with, if there's areas where you find this difficult, listen, we all need to be discipled. We all need to have someone get alongside us to be accountable to. If you know there's an area that you need help with, then find help from someone that you trust and know. And secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to show you someone who you would like to disciple, that you'd like to get alongside. Someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you compassion for that person. Father, we want to become more like Jesus. And we know that starts with repentance, Lord. That starts with metanoia, changing our mind, changing the way that we think. Lord, I thank you that you are an awesome God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are holy, holy, holy. You are the righteous one. You are the Prince of Peace. You are high and lifted up. You are the king of glory. And Father, we choose to bow the knee to you. We choose to love you. We choose to follow you. We choose to give our lives to you. And God, I thank you that you love each one here unconditionally. That Lord, the the scriptures I read out earlier over Caleb are the same for us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that your face shines upon us, each one of us. And for anyone here who doesn't believe that or who doubts that they're loved or who doubts who they are in Christ, I pray that you'd help them change their mind and the way they think about themselves, that they would see themselves in your light. Thank you, Father for your goodness. Thank you that those who are in Christ are blameless and holy and pure and spotless and righteous. Not for anything we've done, but it's all because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's be a church that is proactive, that can make disciples, and we can populate heaven. Amen.